good morning. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. On today's episode of History's Hook, we're going to talk about the history and importance of cemeteries in Tennessee. Cemeteries are fascinating places. They express the idea of liminality, the joining together of two very different states, an intensification of knowledge and emotion, the disparate states of life and death, nature and culture. Cemeteries are the places where those kinds of meetings of the past and the future come to the fore. Cemeteries as we know them today came about in the 1830s. Prior to that, the dead were typically buried in churchyards and backyards. But with this change, the often elaborate planning of cemeteries resembled park settings where people went to picnic, hunt, have races, and commune with the dead. Cemeteries were filled with benches, and in the absence of museums and galleries and botanical gardens, featured beautiful sculptures and horticultural art. Yet during times of pandemic, cemeteries were places where disease and its victims gathered, kept separate from living spaces. These dichotomies both drew people to cemeteries and pushed them away. Cemeteries can be large park-like settings, but they can also be family plots in a home's backyard. Cemeteries, as an embodiment of the past, are almost always in jeopardy. Unused cemeteries quickly become overgrown and forgotten, lost to time, and sometimes destroyed. But cemeteries tell us much of our past. They are important to understanding our history, and efforts are underway in Tennessee to do a better job at preserving these important plots of land. Today's guest is on the front lines of the fight to save and record the history of Tennessee cemeteries. Joining us this morning... In studio is Graham Perry, Historic Preservation Specialist with the Tennessee Historical Commission. He's in charge of the Cemetery Preservation Program, whose daunting task is to record the location of every cemetery in the state of Tennessee. Prior to his tenure at the Historical Commission, Graham was a curator at the Tennessee State Museum. Graham Perry, welcome to History's Hook. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. I, I know that there are probably some worthy candidates besides me you could have had here, but I appreciate it. We're also joined in the studio by my co-host, Murray County historian Joanne McClellan. Good morning, Joanne. Good morning, Tom. First off, Graham, why are cemeteries important today? What can we learn from them? Well, there are a number of reasons, and I probably am not going to state every single one. But um, first of all and foremost, I like to bring up to people that they uh, are really good, especially if they are marked, um, they can open our eyes to the history of people who have settled in certain areas. Uh, Genealogy is the, uh, I think, the uh, number two, after gardening, it's the the number two hobby in in the country. So uh, uh, cemeteries absolutely play into that. Um, More than that, I think it tells us the history of a community. Seeing the people who were buried there, uh, they they tell our stories. Well, and and from a... historical standpoint and being a historian as I am I was a historian first before a curator um, you can get really really great understanding of the population of Tennessee as it evolved over time who settled where um, and basically the background of communities so that uh, communities will understand exactly where they're co- they come from so that uh, they might know where they're going so the state of Tennessee at some point, fairly recently, I understand, decided that documenting cemeteries across the state was a worthy project. Tell us, how did the Cemetery Preservation Program come about? Well, it's interesting because uh, people have been hollering for it for a couple of decades now, at least. Um, obviously, interest in cemeteries in the 1960s and 70s, I uh, just really, really came to the forefront, especially since Tennessee had so many significant uh, people from history. The biggest issue, I think, 
for me, and hopefully I will imprint this upon the new, uh, new position, is that all of these cemeteries in some way or another can possibly and most probably be threatened eventually. Um, we've had some uh, recent happenings, like say in Rutherford County, that uh, you know where historians actually knew about cemeteries and they were plowed over anyway. So one of my purposes to document this is to make sure that the cemetery database or the knowledge of cemeteries throughout Tennessee is as comprehensive as it can be because, uh, because there needs to be a balance between people's memory and also development and growth, which we know is coming. There is no way we're going to avoid that. This particular position was actually very recently, they finally passed a rule back in 2018. Representative Steve McDaniel uh, kind of spearheaded it. And uh, they opened this position. They actually designated that there would be a position for a, a Tennessee Historic Cemetery Preservationist. I was very fortunate to have been chosen for the job. It is very recent. And the, the honest truth is, is the state has never had anything like this. On the other hand, counties, especially Murray County, I have to say, has done really, really, they have done really, really well with this imperative of trying to uh, record cemeteries. I'm hoping in this position I can piggyback off of that and use the help because obviously I am not going to be able to go find every cemetery in Tennessee, but I hope to do outreach with counties and get everyone in those counties, historians and maybe even more people, uh, aware of the importance of cemeteries and hopefully grow that awareness. Um, and uh, I, I, yes, go ahead. About how many cemeteries statewide? What's your best guess at this point? Well, I will tell you. Um, the former state archaeologist told me that they had estimated between 25 and 30,000. Um, I have actually documented a little more than 28,000 so far. I have one county left to go. And like I say, this is my preliminary database. I'm counting on the counties to keep feeding me more information. That's really unbelievable. And they're running the gamut, I assume, from little plots of maybe one or two burials in the backyard to large cemeteries like City Cemetery or in Nashville or, or those kinds of things. Right. And, and you have to understand that according to Tennessee law, uh, a cemetery or a grave site, I mean, as long as one person is buried there, by gosh, that's a cemetery. Um, in fact... It's interesting because in some of my research, I've noticed that people can still, if they want to, create a family, family cemetery in a lot of places across Tennessee and just bury somebody in your backyard. Really? So there are laws in place that allow for that still? Yes. It's it, Usually uh, urban areas have a little bit of control over that because um, we understand how big they are. But a lot of rural areas, they will let you do that. Uh, I got a call yesterday, in fact, about a cemetery that's down on the Tennessee-Alabama border, and my friend is concerned because uh, it is landlocked, and the person or the people that own the property around the cemetery, they're reluctant to allow them to go in and clean the cemetery. I don't, don't know that they're going to bury people there anymore, but they want to go down peri periodically to like uh, clean the cemetery. Yes. What can someone do to make sure that they have access to that cemetery and what um what legal uh avenues are there in case that the people just simply refuse to allow them to cross i'm glad you asked that because uh, under tennessee law uh, the law of 1911 which we we're still mostly under that with some uh, with some additions later um a family member is allowed by law to go into a family cemetery, somebody that's descended from someone in the cemetery without obstruction from a landowner who may or may not have been one of the family members. Um, so we've had that rule in here in Tennessee for a long time. Um, the, the interesting thing about that 
is I can understand why landowners might not want people they don't know coming in on their land and they would might want to obstruct people. The fact of the matter is, is they're not allowed to. Now, they might be able to obstruct me because I don't have a family member buried in the cemetery. Right. It's not just anybody who's interested in looking at the cemetery. It has to be a family connection right. in order to see them. Okay. And under Tennessee law, they are also, uh, family members are allowed to clean and maintain the cemetery in perpetuity. So the, the homeowner doesn't necessarily, the landowner doesn't necessarily have to be the one who maintains the cemetery. It's the family members, living family members of those buried there. Right. Okay. And landowners per se, they are supposed to, I think they call it due diligence. Um, landowners are supposed to keep a cemetery or they're supposed to do diligence to protect it. Um, that doesn't mean they have to do anything other than make sure that Nobody comes in and destroys it. Uh, a lot of landowners uh, I've seen all over the state of Tennessee will build a fence or they will do things like that. I mean, most landowners that I've seen actually adhere to that and are they are they welcome people to come to these cemeteries since they know that it's the law. If someone is obstructed, as happened a couple of years ago in Cheatham County, um, they uh, a person is encouraged and should call the local sheriff because they are allowed and the sheriff uh, or a deputy can actually come and enforce the cemetery law. The state, unfortunately, does not have such a body, but each county, it's uh, relegated to the policing in each county. Okay. I have a couple questions. Uh, actually, I have a couple questions about the destruction of cemeteries. You mentioned early on that Rutherford County, you gave as an example. Was that was the destruction, you said they were bulldozed, was the destruction of the cemeteries something that was done in the open, uh, sort of in defiance, uh, or or was this something that's happening in the middle of the night? Oh, it was, without people now, dying? I don't want to say that it was defiance, because there's there's still a uh, outstanding court case about it, okay. and I do not know the details to the degree that a court is going to. Um. What did happen, however, is somebody either accidentally, perhaps on purpose, I'm not going to go there yet, um, bulldozed the headstones of this particular cemetery. And uh, the historians of the county knew about that cemetery and actually uh, was, were able to see them do it. Um, that being said... It really points to an interesting facet of Tennessee law. It seems like that uh, Tennessee law for a lot of time has made uh, the idea of or law around headstones really, really vague. Hmm. Um, according to my research so far in looking back at the Tennessee laws, desecrating a cemetery is a Class E felony. But what constitutes desecration? Um Desecrating a monument, that's fine, but it doesn't use the term remove. And that may be because developers or landowners do have the ability to petition a court to remove a cemetery and plant it somewhere else. Um, there is a process for that, and it is a state process, and the counties are charged with enforcing that. Um, so you can't just go and plow up a cemetery. Right. Nor can you simply move one. We've gotten, at the Murray County Archives, I've gotten more than one phone call. Because so many people are moving into this area, I'll get a phone call from a person who says, I just bought a plot of land. You know, we really want to build a home here, but there's a cemetery there. What can I do to move this cemetery? And uh, you know, that's a, a question I suppose that you're going to come up against pretty regularly, too. If it's just Absolutely. one or two, there has to be a process in place by which either the cemetery can be moved or the homeowner is discouraged from building there and maybe moving to a different site on the property. What's the, what's the answer? Well, it's interesting because in the state of Tennessee, if you look at the Tennessee property data site, um, you will find that any cemetery that is a quarter acre or bigger is actually listed in the Tennessee property data site because they are, they are actually a tax exempt mm -hmm. and based on religious preference and things like that 
uh, but they are a tax-exempt property. And you will see that they are separated from a property that might be surrounded by a landowner. According to the state of Tennessee, and this is one of the problems that's occurred, the state of Tennessee says that every county uh, should have every known cemetery on a deed. And when a landowner is selling land, they are supposed to divulge if they know that there is a cemetery on that property. Uh, however, I've run into several instances lately where the county doesn't know who owns it and there's no record of who owns it. And uh, in talking to the state of Tennessee, they have assured me that someone owns that cemetery. But when you look at the data site, it says tax-exempt property owned by itself, self-perpetuating. Uh, in rural Murray County, there are 60 or so African-American cemeteries that I have not found that were like specified on a death certificate. What... What I'm thinking is that they were in these rural communities. There may have been a church there, and the church building is no longer standing. Right. And the the cemetery is there. So what happens with getting access to those cemeteries? They're not really family plots. They're like former church locations. Well, I mean, that is a conundrum. I mean, a lot of times churches kept records rather than other people. I mean, rather than government entities. Mm -hmm. So technically, as long as somebody knows someone who is buried there, that person can go to that cemetery. Un Not necessarily a family member. Well, that's one of the conundrums because, as you can imagine, a lot of earlier cemeteries, and th this goes for all races, not right. just African Americans, where a lot of people couldn't afford headstones and things like that. And that tended to be, we, we look at them today, and those are the most visible uh, things that we have to show that a cemetery is there. But the fact of the matter is, is most people throughout the state had no markings whatsoever. Wooden crosses, which are now gone. Uh, sometimes people are marked with field stones. I've seen that all over the state. So you may see a cemetery that has two headstones, but there may be 900 people buried there. And that's the situation that I found with when I did the cemetery transcription book. The, we had maybe one or two headstones, but you could look at the ground right. to see that there were like rows and rows of um, people buried there. So what do you suggest that the county will do, should do as far as making sure that new property owners understand that there's a cemetery there that they can't or shouldn't destroy? Well, first and foremost, I think that if they don't have a cemetery on a deed for a piece of property, they ought to actively put it on there if they know that the cemetery is there. Uh, of course, the county's not going to go all around and look for every cemetery. That's why they have help from me <laughs> but um, and from you as well. <laughs> but uh, the fact of the matter is, is I think that that would be a due diligence uh, thing that counties could do because as long as a cemetery is acknowledged that is there, technically under Tennessee law, you, uh, Tennessee law recognizes a cemetery as a non-profitable venture and not part of a land sale, even though the owner may technically own it. Um, you're not supposed to sell land with a cemetery on it that you know to someone who doesn't know and try to make, try to profit off the cemetery since technically you could report it and get it as a tax exempt uh, entity which I encourage landowners to do. Identify your cemeteries and get them on those deeds and see if your local tax assessors will give you a tax break on I, it. I think this is a wonderful <laughs> program that you're heading up for the very reason that I said, that we get a phone call from somebody who wants to build on a property, they have a cemetery. It makes me nervous that their desire to build a new house is going to be greater than their desire to preserve a cemetery. So knowing that there is a program like yours now, I know I can call them. I can call the potential homeowner and say, this has been listed now, not only at the county level, but at the state level. Right. It, it, bring, it brings some accountability to, to that. And, and Tennessee, as a state that was once a frontier state, there are, are many, many of these small little cemeteries of one or two people, family members buried together. 
all across the state that are, that are hard to find now right. uh, or, or haven't been documented or were documented 75 years ago and have still kind of been forgotten. Nobody visits them anymore. But they're just as deserving of preservation as the big, the big cemeteries are. Talk to us a little bit, Graham, about your database. What kinds of information are you gathering and, and putting into this database? Primarily, the things I am most concerned about are GPS locations and any kind of locational information. I do put in historical information when it's known. Obviously, I can't write the history of every cemetery in Tennessee, so I have to rely on other people that have done that work. Um, Also, I'd like to put in, sometimes cemeteries have changed names. Like sometimes it'll be the Smith Cemetery in the 1820s and then another family gets the property and it becomes the Jones Cemetery and maybe it's known as the Jones Smith Cemetery. So I like to collect those names because different people in local areas, um, they, they will refer to, it, people in the same area might refer to the same cemetery differently depending on their generation. Sure. Um, so I am really Primarily, I want to know the locations of these, and I've actually been uh, <laughs> I've been using some Google Earth to find some. Sure, there's great technology out there Absolutely. now that makes makes your job a little bit easier. As far as GPS coordinating, is the information that you're gathering will that eventually be shareable at the county level? Let's say the Register of Deeds, will they have access to that? So as property uh, transfers from one family to another, that that information is more readily available. My hope is, and my plan all along has been, that this data can be available for many reasons, not just genealogists, but also for government entities throughout the state. I know some of my own frustrations of looking at... uh, you know, property sites from the Tennessee database because, for example, Tennessee relies on Davidson County to do their own information. And so when you click on Davidson County in the Tennessee property data, it takes you to Davidson County. And so Tennessee may or may not uh, really know the records that Davidson County is keeping. By doing a state database, um, my hope is, is that it actually benefits counties and they might be able to use this database to locate these cemeteries. Also, state entities, maybe like TDOT, when they're building a road and they don't know a cemetery's in a certain area, my uh, map that I'm going to have online, it'll be readily available online, will be able to be accessed quickly to see if there's a cemetery there or not. So hopefully there will be a lot of entities that will benefit from it. I'm not sure at this stage yet what I'm going to be allowed to put up, but I'm definitely collecting more data than I, I'm, I'm collecting as much as I can and what I'll be able to put out that will be decided at some point. Today we're talking about cemetery preservation in Tennessee. You're listening to History's Hook. We'll be right back. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're talking with Graham Perry, uh, who's a historic preservation specialist with the Tennessee Historical Commission. His charge is to document all of the cemeteries in the state of Tennessee. Graham, do we know, what is the oldest cemetery in Tennessee? Oh my gosh. Well... My uh, my job does not cover pre-Columbian, so yeah, I <laughs> leave that point. to archaeology. That's a great point. Um, man, that is a good question, and I'm not really sure what that is. I know that from a, and I'm going to say a civil civilization standpoint. Sure. Uh, commonly, people think that cemeteries up in Washington County and stuff are the earliest, but the fact of the matter is, there's. I always tell people this: there's probably like a thin layer of graves all over the state of Tennessee, and you never know who's buried in them. So when you talk about known, you're going to talk about East Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that goes back to the state of Franklin and before, so. Right. Uh, I think the earliest earliest claim of an organized cemetery is Old Jonesboro Cemetery, 1803. I think they they take that claim as as far as an organized cemetery is concerned, but certainly Aboriginal burials and and that kind of thing go back, uh, of course, tens of of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Have you found any Indian burial grounds? 
I am not. I am intentionally not looking for those now, unless you talk about historic. Okay, yeah, historic. Historic, uh-huh. yes. Okay. I mean, one of the one of the most notable examples is the fact. As a historian, you know, you, you read about frontier life and all these mysterious people, and you wonder if they were still alive. And then, wow, you can go visit Nancy Ward's grave because it's there. And uh, you realize, start to realize that this is not mythological history. Maybe some, there's some myths surrounding some of the stories. But the fact is, is this was a real person with uh, real concerns and joys, just like you and me. And by gosh, they're buried in the ground. It's something that we take for granted, I think, every time we drive by a cemetery, that cemeteries are histories of community. Every stone represents a life. Every person experienced life in a time in which they live. Every one of those stones has a story to tell. Uh, The remarkable historical documents in and of themselves, um, they chronicle tragedy and triumph, they record faith and community. Um, how can cemeteries be better used as historical documents within a community, do you think? I feel like they're an underutilized I'm sure research tool. Um, well, there, there are a lot of active counties in Tennessee that are going and transcribing the headstones. You have to keep in mind, however, that the information that on, that's on headstones is probably going to be people that are a little more prominent than others. However... By researching those folks, sometimes you will find the periphery of people who lived around them and worked around them and things like that. So rather than a celebration of someone who's notable, you can look at the written records from a person whose name is on a headstone and find out about the culture around him and the people around him or her. One of my favorite... uh tombstone inscriptions is found in Greenwood Cemetery, which Joanne, you and I talked about yesterday, is probably the earliest organized cemetery in Murray County, certainly the earliest one in Columbia. Uh, But there's a a gravestone there uh, that I often take groups of people out to to Greenwood to show them. Just an example of how a cemetery sort of speaks to the history of your community, at least a portion of it. And, And Jane Gillespie Brown's gravestone is a remarkable one because she, her story is on there. She made sure she wanted to give information to future generations about what it meant to, to move here when this was the frontier. She, re- she wrote this on her tombstone. Sacred to the memory of widow Jane Brown, who departed this life the fourth day of June, 1831, aged near 91, as she was born on the 22nd day of June, 1740. She was 71 years a member of the Presbyterian Church and died in triumph of a living faith. Her husband, James Brown, Esquire, was murdered by the Cherokee Indians on the Tennessee River on the 9th of May, 1788, with two of his sons and five other young men, and his wife and five children were taken prisoner. Some of them got back to the settlements by one year, others longer, and one was five years. O reader, these people lost their lives and liberty in obtaining this good land that you enjoy. O be ready to leave and go to the good world. That's that's an amazing document uh, that you can still see carved out on on stone i mean it it really speaks to the history and that's an unusual one most stones of course are don't don't give that kind of information let's talk about that for a minute headstones in the 19th century are often elaborate filled with symbolism uh so much can be learned just from that alone you'll see things like the weeping willow you'll see uh the broken column a life cut short uh the lamb of course usually indicative of the loss of a child uh, um, there, there's so much in there. Today, modern cemeteries, modern large cemeteries, are being built that are flat stones, stones that are flat, level with the ground, easy to mow, I suppose. Name, birth date, death date, that's about it. When does that change take place, and what, is, what does that tell us about our modern society compared to 19th century? Well, I'll give you, uh, well, there are other companies like this too, but Sears. The... Uh, if you go back to the late 1800s, you will notice that Sears, which, of course, you understand that mail order at that time was becoming very huge. Uh, Sears actually made stock cemetery headstones <laughs> really? that they could send. They could either carve them up there or, or perhaps a local stone carver 
could get them and, and carve them, which is why it's very difficult to know who or may or may not have carved them, because I know they carved them up in Vermont. But, uh, I mean, honestly, the advent of the railroad and uh, modern transportation, that really, really opened up things. It also made uh, cemetery headstones more affordable. So you are talking uh, more classes of people are able to purchase these monuments for their loved ones instead of putting a, stone, a round stone out to mark where they were. Um, that's really fascinating. It really does center around industrialization, I think. It does. Yes. Yeah, it all plays into the much, much broader picture of transportation and uh, consumerism. Yep. The fact that, I mean, did, if you're buying one from Sears, is it part of the Sears catalog? Did they have a section? Oh, yeah, they had a whole catalog right? for it. Matter of fact, I've, I don't have a, an official one, but you can find it online. But they mm. have a catalog just for cemetery headstones and wow. monuments. Yep. Interesting. Sort of on the flip side of that, if we're looking at Tennessee's early history, certainly you have these large cemeteries like City Cemetery in Nashville, Greenwood Cemetery in Columbia, but there are many African-American cemeteries, especially prior to the Civil War and the days of slavery, where the enslaved were buried in cemeteries as well, as you said, Joanne, often without markers or with wooden markers that have not survived. It makes the job of documenting these cemeteries incredibly difficult. Um, Joanne, do slave cemeteries exist? Cemeteries that were specific to the enslaved? Um, were they separate from white cemeteries? Or were they part of or a section of? How, they, how did that work? Well, you know, here in, in Columbia, we have uh, slaves buried as uh, the back portion of white right. cemeteries. Um, and throughout my research, I found that in, you know, many cases, um, uh, my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother, as an example, she's buried up in a white cemetery uh, up in the Santa Fe area. Uh, she was buried in 1870. And, you know, that information was just invaluable because I didn't know what her first name was. And I kept looking and looking, and I finally found her by looking through a cemetery book. And what it said was, her name, Violet Gant, her maiden name, wife of Wesley Williams, and it also had a child there, So, and she was buried in like 1871, so she was on the uh, census record in 1870 with the, just the letter V as her first name, but then after going through all these cemetery records, I found you know, who she really was, and it really listed my great-great-grandfather's name and that child that sort of disappeared, you know. So it's invaluable information. But I found all over that there were, uh, in the in some of the white cemeteries, there were, like, you know, African-Americans, former slaves buried, buried there. But when the some of the churches were established, they had their own cemeteries, like up in... Um, Pleasant Union up in Hampshire area, 1838, they um, they were given land, and they used some of that land for a cemetery as early as 1838. So It's interesting because your story, I, if I were to make a poster to give out with my position, that would be the poster <laughs> child. I'm serious because that is a perfect example of... Uh, how to use cemetery headstones and the information on them to expand your knowledge, not only about yourself, but about others. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Joanne, I want to give you credit for the work that you did in doing just that, trying to document African-American cemeteries uh, in, in Murray County. How, how many did you identify? Well, in the book, I have about 75 but uh, what I did after the, I did the, the transcriptions, I went through every death record from 1908 to 1930, and I found about 60 or, most, or more cemeteries that I didn't find. So they're still out there somewhere, but I still have these little index cards with their names, and one of these days, you know, we'll hopefully find them, and I'll certainly share them with you. But, uh, and hopefully growth <laughs> won't find them first. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But if that does occur, uh, it is the uh, duty of developers, if they run across bones, they are supposed to call the sheriff 
and they are supposed to contact the Department of Archaeology because they have to identify whether or not this is human remains, and, I mean, it could be a murder victim. So mm -hmm. I'm just saying that... How, how often does it happen? I think now with so much development going on in Middle Tennessee especially, they've got to be finding, this has got to be ramping up, right? More cemeteries as development expands, so too does the finding of these cemeteries. Right. How, how often do you, do you hear of developers stopping their work because they come across remains? Yeah, I, and matter of fact, I think for my research, most developers seem to do the right thing. Um, and kudos to them. Um, they, they follow the rules that are in place. Um, there are some outliers out there that may or may not, they either are ignorant of the law or they're not doing correctly uh, on purpose. I, and I'm not going to blame them either way. I will let courts figure that out. But um, the fact of the matter is these cemeteries are going to turn up. I mean, I have, I have 28,000 on my list. Gosh, there's no telling how many there are. <laughs> Yes, and it can be a grave. It can be two graves. Sometimes you'll find a single grave and you find out eventually when you get the archaeology team out there to do a survey that there are 300 people buried there. Are you planning to send an archaeology team? Um, I do not, okay. but if you call the Division of Archaeology, they do that. Okay. And you can also, there are also private uh, archaeology companies that will do it. It just depends on how busy Within People. the last decade, Greenwood Cemetery is a great example of that, that early records talk about Greenwood Cemetery going almost to the river, which it does not now. If you go and visit Greenwood Cemetery in Columbia, Tennessee, you're going to see a very delineated area. There was a business, uh, I think an auto parts business, that purchased sort of the what they thought was the, the sort of the north end just beyond the cemetery, and as it turned out, as they started doing the work, they started uncovering graves and found that Greenwood Cemetery is actually about double the size right. of what was most people thought that it was. And so they stopped, they stopped the the business, stopped their work, and moved on to another location. And now Greenwood Cemetery is much larger and it's delineated nicely in town. So it, it absolutely happens. Right. Um, I've worked with a couple of archaeologists who have uh, taken on the project of. Uh, identifying the the boundaries of cemeteries, looking for graves. Uh, I've also worked with them in uh, gravestone restoration projects. Um, and, and that's a, a big part of, of the problem with cemeteries, as the older they get, the fewer the people that go and care about them. Is there a solution? It's one of the biggest problems that we come across at the archives. People say, my family is buried in the cemetery. It's out in the woods. How do we preserve this cemetery? And, of course, we don't have the resources to be able to do that. It almost always comes down to a Boy Scout group or a private, a private group of people who care about it. What is the solution for that, Graham? Yeah, that is a uh, – and generally speaking, as many cemeteries as there are, that's probably how it's going to remain. However – one of the uh, purposes that I'm uh, developing in this program, I personally believe, I don't know if anybody else does, but I know that there are two ways of looking at something, but some people hide cemeteries because they don't want them damaged. My personal belief is the more awareness there is about cemeteries uh, and the more people who are concerned about it, um, that bodes well for a cemetery. So if you know of a cemetery that's out there and you're upset that it's not being kept up and you're a family member, yes, it is by law. You can do that. But uh, at the same point in time, do you want to do it yourself? I get a lot of calls about that, and there's not a lot of cemetery resources right now. I'm hoping in the future, and I'm not sure how soon that will happen, that I'll be able to create a grant program for, it won't be like ungodly amounts of money, I will tell you this, but specifically for preservation and conservation. Um, and people will have to apply for that grant. And there will be a criteria, which I have not developed yet. It'll probably be close to the NR, but... Most of the cemeteries are not marked. Uh, there's, there right. are no street signs and there are no whatever saying 
you know, Beach Grove Cemetery. So do you suggest that we do that? Because the African-American Heritage Society of Murray County uh, had talked about a program to put up cemetery signs at all of the African-American cemeteries. So is that a good idea? Oh, it's an excellent idea. In fact, I have uh, recently seen a couple of counties that are big into that. I mean, they just mark every one of them. And, And actually, the county is involved. Um, so it's worth talking to your county representatives and, 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 you know, generate interest show instead of trying to do everything yourself, um, make good with landowners that that's the best way that you're going to cause or curtail any problems. You know, being nice is a good thing. (laughs) Right. And the the uh, more people that know about and sometimes you can be nice to people and they're still not nice. But you know what? (laughs) Kill them with kindness, because eventually uh, I feel like that uh, people will come around. They will understand the law, understand, well, this has to happen so I can make these concessions. And hopefully it'll make everybody, including the landowners, happy. So. The, the more people that know about it, the more accountability yes, there is. absolutely. So well, we need to take our second break, and when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the cemeteries in Tennessee on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're having a conversation about cemeteries in Tennessee. We have with us in the studio Mr. Graham Perry, who is a historic preservation specialist at the Tennessee Historical Commission, whose charge is to document all of the some 30,000 cemeteries across the state of Tennessee. Uh, Graham, we haven't talked too much about the specifics of uh, gravestone restoration or gravestone preservation. Are, are there any procedures that the average person can do to help preserve a, a gravestone? Well, I will tell you this. I've fielded a lot of calls of uh, people that have been trying this on their own, whether or not it's a good idea or not. Although there are a couple of, there are a couple of historical groups throughout uh, Tennessee that have actually trained with the CCUS. What is that? The Cemetery Conservation CCUS, go look them up. I forgot what they stand for. But uh, they actually have uh, preservation classes, and they have them at the basic level, and they have them at increased levels, and they are worth taking if you want to preserve a cemetery. Uh, There is a book that was put out by the uh, AASLH, American Association of State and Local History, and uh, uh, Karen... Oh, my gosh. Her first name's Karen, and the last name ends with Stad. Um, but those books, uh, you can either get an old one, and they have updated them recently as well. And if you have any questions, like I had a question not long ago of, well, what kind of cleaner can I use on this that is uh, banned by the state of Tennessee? I was like, well, you know what? I don't know that, but I will tell you this. If you look at that book, probably everything you see in there is going to be safe and recommended. Sure. Um, I have gotten a lot of calls where uh, people have tried to preserve headstones, and sometimes I have to cringe with some of the things they said, because like you were talking about, don't use ammonia. Yes, don't use ammonia. And actually, uh, people trying to read headstones will put shaving cream on them. Anything that you do... And I learned this from the museum very well, watching silk gowns deteriorate in front of my eyes. Anything you do will cause even just a remote bit of damage, especially to these Tennessee limestone, uh, limestone and sandstone headstones. And, and so that was my next question. What are most headstones in Tennessee made out of? Uh, early ones are limestone and uh, sandstone. And during the... From the antebellum period up through the late 1800s, marble was common, and there was a reason for this. Uh, They were soft stones, and if you read about how they used to make these grave markers, they used to saw them out Mm. with two-handed saws and a person. Obviously, limestone in Tennessee is is a really good choice because it comes in tabular 
you know, tables like that and you can take it out and work it. But yes, those marble uh, headstones, people sought them out by hand. Unbelievable. Yep. But, but water was okay. Water is okay, right? Just plain water? Um, well, they're going to get rained on anyway. Right, right. Yes, if you do any... Okay, the best thing that you can do a headstone is leave it alone. Second best thing you can do is use water, but you don't want to use high-pressure water. Uh, you actually want to apply the water yourself, and you don't want any abrasive types of uh, materials for rubbing them down with. Right. The, the very act of cleaning them with a cloth yes. or anything like that is uh, probably causing as much damage as anything else. So le- less is more, I think, yes, is probably the, is best, the best takeaway in terms of, of headstone uh, restoration. What about gravestone rubbings? Lots of people are interested in doing those kinds of things. Is there a proper way to do it? Would yes. you just recommend people not do it? What, what is your take on that? I recommend people do not do actual rubbings. Um, if you want to get the information that is off the uh, cemetery stone, the best way to do that is with light and shadowing. Really? Yes. Meaning, describe that. Uh, you shine direct light on it in such a way to where it highlights the lettering so that you can actually read it. And then you're mm. just recording it on your yes, own. You're not actually absolutely. getting a, a rubbing or a reproduction of what the stone looks like. Right. Because a lot of people love that. As we talked oh, about, gra- gravestones, some of the gravestones in Tennessee are really beautiful works of art, mm-hmm. and, and being able to capture that is is uh, worthwhile to a lot of folks. But preservation is the most important thing. Do, doing less is <laughs> is probably doing a great deal more in the long run for the preservation of, of the stone. Yes, and always remember that uh, for every one of, for every person that's out there and they want to get one for themselves, we'll just multiply that exponentially. And you can think about how much damage will be caused over, to a headstone. Over time, sure. Mm. Now, I will say this. Um, headstones, and I've... As Dan Pomeroy at the museum used to say, all our job is as we are prolonging the inevitable. Everything is going to return to dust. Headstones are going to return to dust. So finding, if you want headstones not to deteriorate anymore in the acid rain and things like that we have uh, today, um, it is going to be a difficult task because... uh, Sometimes people will be prone to remove those headstones, but uh, it's good to replace them with something if you do that and store them in a place where they're not going to deteriorate further. And I suggest against it. Like I said, uh, these cemetery headstones, these graves, I always say that the cemeteries are, are for the living, not for the dead. The dead's are, they, they're gone. They know this. So this is for the memory of the person, the deceased person. And uh, with the grieving families and things like that, people who want to look at their great grandmother or something like that and where they're buried. Um, So the fact of the matter is you have to think of a headstone, no matter who you are and what your perspective is, um, as that other people are going to be hurt or not by the damage that you cause to these headstones and cemeteries. I can't imagine removing a headstone. Well, and that's the problem. Tennessee law is not really specific about that. Because when I was doing the African-American cemeteries, you would not believe the number of United States colored troops buried in these remote uh, remote cemeteries. Yeah, and that's very. those are worth preserving, to be sure. Um, a lot of the uh, USCT soldiers in the Civil War, I mean, they went out and created these communities. Exactly. Yeah, and, I mean, they're the grandpapa of the community, you know? And so even if you're descended from people who are in that community and maybe not descended from the USCT soldier, it's still worth it to you to have emotional experience about the person that led your, that community that your ancestors were in. Exactly, yeah. exactly. You have a, ta- a daunting task, Graham. And uh, one, why did you take the position? And two, remind us your background in museums and, and what your role was at the Tennessee State Museum. Okay, well, I took this position because it, it looked interesting and was new. Um, 
the fact of the matter is, is there is going to be, well, as with any position, some learning curve for me, and I'm still doing that right now. Corona has put a real wrench in some of the uh, workshops I was going Well, to as do. a new program, too, you're having to sort of invent as you go. Absolutely. And my my museum teacher, Ron Brister, he uh, at the Pink Palace in Memphis, always told me, he goes, you know how I learned how to be a curator? And I was like, how? He goes, I got hired here and I started learning. Um, my museum background, I've spent 10 years at the Tennessee State Museum. I was the curator of social history, which... Uh, that can cover, every, I mean, everything can fit into society. And it's funny because uh, when you're cataloging something, everything falls into social history. Even military stuff falls into social history. So it's, it's a very broad way of saying, hey, we expect you to know a lot about a lot of things so that you can help all these people that know specific things uh, when they're putting together exhibits or cataloging the, the yeah. So I, it, my job was really to look to make sure that perspectives that were being put out there were inclusive and not necessarily one-sided or things like that. Your educational background? Uh, University of Memphis. I don't have a PhD, but I am ABD. Uh, my, my mentor was Dr. Goings, Dr. Ken Goings, who is at Ohio State. Uh, he was a very fabulous teacher. I did not go in there seeking to be... To, to do African-American history, but I got sucked in, and it has been really, really fascinating. Do you visit cemeteries for fun? Yes, I have, except I get sad when I take my kids there because there's always so many children buried there, and so I'm, I'm like, let's leave now. Also but, a historical document, though. Oh, absolutely. And in a time of pandemic, you yes. can go to any cemetery in your community and find where whole families, their death dates are within a few days of each other because of things like cholera, cholera yeah. typhus, Ty yellow yeah. fever. There are any number of things that we, we don't worry about today, and we've sort of forgotten uh, in the last 100 years, what a pandemic means, and we're all trying to, as right. you said, trying to figure out how to how to make that how to make that happen. Graham Perry, thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Uh, good luck with your position. Thank you for what you do. Uh, it's an important job in Tennessee, and uh, we'll certainly be utilizing uh, your expertise as as we move forward. So and thank, thank let so us much. know what else we can do for you down in Murray County, because we want to make sure that all of our cemeteries are in your database. Yes, and I want to make sure of that as well. So I really appreciate y'all having me here, and uh, I and here's to Murray County out there. Hope y'all are all doing well. <laughs> thank you. We end with a quote by Percy Shelley. The cemetery is an open space among the ruins, covered in winter with violets and daisies. It might make one in love with death to think that one should be buried in so sweet a place. That concludes our show for today. Thank you to our sponsor, ServPro of Murray and Giles County, for their support. ServPro, master to any disaster. On behalf of my co-host, Joanne McClellan, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of History's Hook. Thank you for listening to History's Hook with Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. right here on WKRM 103.7 FM for a journey through time. Today's edition of History's Hook was sponsored by ServPro of Murray and Giles County. ServPro, faster to any disaster. 